But this summer, like I said, we're wrapping up summer. It also wraps up our series that we've called My Life, My Response. And this whole summer, we've looked at just that. Okay, life throws a lot of things at us, and then we look at how are we to respond to those things. When life throws this, I should respond in that way. When life gives us this, how do we respond in a way that is according to God's word? So the whole summer has just been asking that question. How are we called to respond? Not react, that's that natural tendency. That's how we want to just react. But how do we truly respond? And to kind of help explain this, that whole general idea, I wanted to share something that that has been in my house for actually the last several years, really, really meaningful to to my family and I. We look at it a ton. Uh, You probably have something similar that's meaningful in your your home and your family as well. Just a couple pictures I brought from my house that are just these beautiful pictures of nature. And there's stories behind each of these, probably like you have some stories behind yours and your house as well. But you look at pictures like this in your home, oh, and it takes you to a happy place, doesn't it? We all need that. You all need things around your house where you just look at, and it just screams God's glory. It just allows you to be in his presence in a way that it feels like in our everyday life, you kind of miss out. So that, that's one of them. Let me show you another one. This one's actually one of my, my favorites. Picture of Denali. I mean, it's just beautiful. Right, so whether it's beach or whether it's mountains, whether it's some kind of scenery, you need a place that just screams God's glory, right? You have to have that where you rest in his presence. And and you look at something like that and it just, whether you've been there or not, it it takes you there almost. So I've I've got these pictures in my house and and like I said, they, they help me connect with God in some form or fashion. But what's interesting is, although that's pretty normal for all of us, there's something that we would never do. I would never invite you over to my house, and I'd probably show you this picture if you come over to my house and say, hey, let me tell you the story behind this and everything. But there's something up here that is even more extravagant than this picture. There's there's something up here that is just better than this picture. It screams God's glory more than this picture. You know what that is? This easel. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Forget the pictures of nature. This is the nicest easel I've ever seen in my entire life. It's glorious, it's gorgeous, it's perfectly handcrafted by Hobby Lobby on the clearance section. (laughs) Oh my goodness, could you imagine showing up to my house and and you see these great pictures, but then I pull out my easel and says, oh no, no, let me put the picture down for a second. I know, you wanna see the picture again, but can we talk about the easel for a minute? Nobody cares about the easel, so I just want to make sure that you know how great this easel is. It's absurd, isn't it? It's absolutely ridiculous because this easel has a job to do. The easel's job is not to bring attention to itself, but it's to uphold this picture, right? It's to prop up this picture. It's to make sure that this glorious picture is on display for all to see. So in our lives, to answer that big question, when life throws whatever at us, how do we respond? Typically, typically, me including this, often we respond by saying, well, check out that easel, because everything's about the easel. Instead of saying, no, 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 no. What's God up to? What might God be doing? See, our life response is truly one thing, to let God's glory be put on display. That's the response in every moment Every second, every response that you and I have should be just that, 
that we put on display God's splendor, his majesty, his glory, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. So let your life, like this easel, let your life just hold up, put on display, hold high the glory of God. Instead of us walking around like, wait, 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 let's talk about me first. It's all about me. Doesn't matter what God's asking, what God's telling, or where I should be going and how I should respond. No, let's talk about what's, what I want. Instead, what would it look like to say, no, 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 no. My job is to put God's glory on display. This is my job, to walk around showing God off. That's, to summarize our summer, how we respond. So I want you to say a phrase with me because we're gonna use it a lot this morning. Say, not about me. One more time, I know it's a hard thing to say. Right? Some of you choked on that, actually. Say, not about me. Right, the easel says it's not about me. The easel says it's not about me. It's, it's what I'm propping up. It's what I'm holding. It's what I'm showing off. It's what I'm putting on display. One more time, not about me. So when we are figuring out, we're trying to make this journey and all of these decisions on how we are to respond in life, may one of the first, thing that go, first things that go through our mind just be that. Okay, this isn't about me. It's not necessarily what I want. It's not necessarily what I'm hoping for. It's not necessarily what I think or I feel. What is it again? It's not about me. How is God using my responses to show off, to put his glory on display? Let your life display the glory of God, the greatness of God. And let's not make it about ourselves. So the story we're going to look at this morning, if you've got your Bible, head over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 has an incredible account of Paul and a guy named Silas, one of his companions. And they have been traveling around. In fact, this is Paul's, if you're in, familiar with Acts and some of this part of the New Testament, this is Paul's second journey to plant churches and to tell other people about Jesus, to be that easel that says, it's not about me. How do I put God's glory on display? So as they're traveling around, around, I want you to pay close attention to all the things that life is going to throw at Paul in these verses we're going to look at. And every single time we're going to see Paul say that phrase, it's not about me. And he responds differently. When we say it's not about me, we respond differently than when we say it's all about me. Very two, very different phrases that lead to very different responses. So here's where we're going to start. We've got to start at the beginning here. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. We see Life throws something at Paul and his companion early on. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Did you catch that part? It says they were traveling around through this area in Galatia, and they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. In other words, God said no. Have you ever known God to say no before? But God, we're preaching your word, but God, we're doing the right thing. But God, aren't we doing exactly what you asked us to do? And God said, no. He actually kept them from entering into a specific area. It says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. 
So they passed by Myasia and they went down to Troas. Now, for all of you history nerds out there like me, let me show you what this really looks like. Here's a map. Here's where Paul and his companions included Silas. Here's where they were going. You can see where they started down here on, my bo- on the bottom right. They started going all the way up. You see the Galatia area. It says they were going through the area of Galatia. Then when you see where they get to Antioch, kind of right there in the middle, just south of the province of Asia, that's where they tried to go up into Asia. And they kept trying. We don't know how God prevented them, but it said twice that the Holy Spirit kept them from entering into Asia. It says Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, would not allow them to go north into Asia. So they said, okay, we'll go to, and that's where you see up there, kind of in the top next to the sea there, Troas. So we can't go this direction, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried. Rejection, 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 and some of you might have heard this phrase before, is sometimes God's rejection is actually redirection. And here, Paul and his companions, they keep following God, but remember, what was the phrase? It's not about me. This would have been a perfect time to say, no, 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 Jesus, it's all about me. We're supposed to go this direction. I know what's best. Have we ever done that with God before? This is where we're supposed to go, God. Trust me on this one. You need to follow me. We've talked about that this summer. It says God would not allow them to enter that area. So they stayed in easel. Said, it's not about me. My role, my job, my response is to put God's glory on display. And if he says no to that direction, whether I understand it or agree with it or not, okay, let's go this way. Who knows what God might be leading us to when we say it's not about me. So they kept going through. If you saw on the map, they ended up in a place called Philippi and they ran into some trouble. It's amazing how when we do the right thing, sometimes we still end up in trouble, isn't it? Well, they were, they were telling people about Jesus. They were even healing some people through the power of Jesus. For some reason, some people didn't like that. So they started to attack and start to chase off Paul and Silas. That's where we're gonna pick the story back up, still in chapter 16, but in verse 22. It says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. They couldn't believe what had happened. They were preaching Jesus. They were healing people all in Jesus' name. That didn't make this town very happy. You can read details prior to that. But everybody in this town started attacking and chasing Paul and Silas. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates, the, the government of that town, they ordered them to be, look, to be stripped and beaten with rods. After that, they had been severely flogged. Then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What's the phrase? It's not about me. This would be a perfect time for Paul and Silas to say, see God, I was right. (laughs) We shouldn't have gone this way because look where it's landed us. We should have gone the other direction. God, you should have listened to me. It would have turned out better. That would have been a perfect time to say that. But Paul and Silas respond with, eh, it's not about me. We're the easel, we're not the the picture. It's not trying to put ourselves in a place of glory, it's putting God's glory on display. Now this is kind of hard for us to relate to. Most of us have not been, I would assume, not been in this situation, but I think we can still relate in some form or fashion. Listen to what had actually happened to Paul and Silas, and let me help you put it in perspective. They were stripped, They were beaten, they were thrown into the inner cell of the jail, and then their feet were fastened to stocks. So let's apply that to us, where many of you probably are sitting right now. Stripped down and exposed. Maybe you're feeling ashamed, disgraced, 
vulnerable, exposed. They were beaten with rods. Have you been hurt by somebody? Have you been betrayed by somebody? Have you been hurt by someone else, at the hands of someone else? It says that they were thrown in the inner cell of the jail, not just jail, but the inner parts, the inner cell of the jail. Have you ever felt forgotten? Literally thrown away and then the key thrown away with it. Isolated, alone. No one's around. No one knows. No one cares. And lastly, it says that their feet were fastened in the stocks. If you've ever seen what that looks like, you can't move, can you? Your feet are truly fastened to stocks and chained where you can't budge, you can't move. You feel paralyzed. And maybe you've been in that kind of a prison where you are held back by something. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's your past. But you feel completely stuck and paralyzed where I can't move. I can't do anything else. So we probably haven't been in prison like Paul and Silas were. But we all have a prison like that. Where we are exposed and ashamed. Where we've been beaten. Where we've been hurt. Where we feel forgotten and left alone to a point where we can't move, completely paralyzed for whatever reason. And once again, that would have been a great time for Paul and Silas to say, God, where are you now? You wouldn't let us go the way we thought and here's where we ended up. But once again, it's not about me. It's not about me. They looked at their situation in a very, very different way. They're the easel, not the picture. Here's what happens next, verse 25. Very next verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. We've got to stop there because there's so much in there that does not make sense whatsoever. What time was it? It was, did you catch it? Midnight. So we could assume this could literally be, figurative and literally, be their darkest hour. After all that they had been through, now it's midnight. There seems no hope in sight, truly no light in sight. And yet, They are praying and praising, praying and singing hymns to God. See, we've got to have this conversation because this is a tension we feel all the time, the tension between heart and obedience. Heart meaning I want to and I feel like it versus I need to and I should. You understand the difference there? Heart, I want to and I feel like it. Obedience, I need to and I should. So often we live our lives making it all about us, where, well, if I don't feel like it, I won't. If I don't want to, I won't. Sounds a lot like our toddlers, but we carry that into adulthood as well. Because we've got to do things we don't want to do, right? If that weren't the case, if we truly could live our lives only doing what we wanted, only doing things when we felt like it, we would never in our lives experience dirty clothes, or clean clothes, rather, because we'd always have the dirty clothes, We would never have clean dishes because nobody wants to do the dishes. Even though my wife says, I want you to want to do the dishes, it's not going to happen, is it? (laughs) No, we would always be late to work. Well, I didn't feel like waking up this morning. I don't even want to imagine what church attendance would be like if there wasn't a little bit of shoulda in that. Well, I didn't feel like going this morning. Life is full of things you don't want to do. Life is full of having to do them even when you don't feel like them. But we hold on to our heart more than obedience at times. So which one leads? How do we know when to go with our heart 
or when to go with obedience. And what Paul and Silas show is there's no way they felt like praying and singing to God in that moment. There's no way any of us would feel that way, but they chose to anyway. So here's what I would tell you. When your heart isn't able, when your heart isn't there, when the feelings aren't there, when you don't want to, when your heart isn't in it, let obedience lead your heart. It's great when you have both. When you feel like it, when you want to, when your heart's in it and it's obedient, it's great when that lines up, but that does not happen very often, at least in my life. So when you don't feel like it, when your heart's not in it, that's not an excuse to say, well, I guess I can't be part of that then. I don't want to right now. Or the better way to do it is to put hands on your hips and do a stomp. I don't want to, right? That's a better way to do it. So when your heart's not in it, instead of giving the excuse, we say, no, no, okay, I need my obedience to lead my heart. Because we're easels, aren't we? And it's what? It's not about me. It's not about me. When you look at what Paul and Silas did, it wasn't based on preference. It wasn't based on what they felt like. It was, we need to do this in this moment. Because our job is to uphold the glory of God, regardless of the situation we're in, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we want to do. No matter what situation and what prison you find yourself in, you still have an opportunity to display, put on display the glory of God. Our prayer and our praise cannot be about our preference and our feelings, it has to be about that's what we do. We put God's glory on display because it's not about us. What's interesting about prayer and praise is they usually help us see two extremes, who God is, the greatness of God, and who we are without God, desperate for him. So regardless of whether you find yourself in good times or bad times, prayer and praise most definitely has a place God, you're wonderful, look at all you've done, or God, I am desperate for you, I need you. Prayer and praise have a way of leading us into those two extremes. Ultimately, again, putting on display the glory and the power of God. One more thing to notice, because it's not all about us, that last part there. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Don't forget who's listening. Don't forget who's watching your life. If we are truly called to be easels, truly called to walk around holding and displaying the glory of God. Every response matters because there's always somebody watching. There's always somebody wanting to know if it's real or not. What did Paul and Silas have that no one else had? That's the question that they would have been asking. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. It's a miracle. That's what happens when you sing and praise in jail. If you ever find yourself there, I highly recommend going this direction. It's probably gonna turn out. No, I make no promises there whatsoever. Because <laughs> look what happens next, verse 27. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the other prisoners had escaped because he would have been killed because he let everybody escape. That's why he was going down that road. But Paul shouted, verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Now out of every bizarre thing that has happened in this story so far, this one takes the cake. More bizarre than an earthquake happening after Paul and Silas are singing and praising God. More bizarre 
than an earthquake, more bizarre than the, the prison doors flying open, more bizarre than the chains magically, supernaturally coming off everybody's wrists and ankles. The most bizarre thing in this entire story is when Paul says, wait, we are all here. Makes no sense whatsoever, does it? How in the world does somebody keep a jail full of prisoners in jail when everything has opened up? They changed their environment just by being there, didn't they? Just by being there. Paul and Silas changed the environment. So often we're quick to run out of our environments. When it's all about us, I want what I want when I want it. And if it's not what I want when I want it, then I'm out of here. It's not about me though, is it? See, this is interesting because Paul and Silas felt like there was something more important than getting out of jail in that moment. There was something more valuable. There was another opportunity. There was something there. And when the opportunity came to leave, they said, you know what? We're not quite ready to go yet. God's not done. There's something there's some opportunity still here because it's not about me. If it's all about me, man, we're out of here. But say it with me again, it's, it's not about me. So they said, we're here. We haven't left. We are all here. And there was something so real, so authentic, so contagious, so bizarre that the rest of these prisoners said, well, we're gonna stay too and see what happens. <laughs> Nobody left. So let me just encourage you. Whatever situation you find yourself in, and you're like, how do I respond in this? Can I encourage you to look at changing your environment? I'm not saying you can change everything. I'm not saying you can totally fix everything. But would you be willing to sit tight long enough to see what God might do through you? Because if our job truly is to be the easel and to uphold the glory and, and put on display the glory of God, we've got to be there long enough for him to do something with it, to do something with us, to let us be part of that life change we talk about all the time here. Okay, God, what might you be doing? So begin to look at how you can change your environment, bring change into the environment. So how do we do that? We bring praise and prayer into the environment. That's the hardest thing. When I say change your environment, we come in with our list of, well, you're going to do this and you're going to stop doing that and you're going to make this happen and this is what I'm going to do. Paul and Silas didn't do any of that. They brought prayer and praise into their environment and allowed God to change it. Imagine what would happen if we walked into our environments with that kind of prayer, with that kind of praise. What might God do? What, why, what might we see him do in and through us? Next part, verse 29. So the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that it's the free man that asked the prisoners how to be saved. I love that. Don't miss that. Because oftentimes we feel like the one that we're, we're in jail, but in reality, there's other people that are in a space and in an environment or a situation where they're looking to you of like, I need help. Don't minimize your opportunity as an easel doesn't matter what situation you're in. When you are putting God's glory on display, people notice and people need to know how to get that. So here, the jailer asked the prisoners, what do I have to do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. 
They didn't overcomplicate it. Romans 10 doesn't complicate it. It's will you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord? You profess with your mouth and you are saved. It's not by what we do. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. And no, I don't have all the answers. And no, I don't know everything. And no, I'm not perfect. But I'm truly wanting to walk through life just holding up your greatness and your glory. But Jesus, I need you in my life first. They explain that. Here's what happens next, because our life changes the moment we say yes to Jesus. At that hour of the night, remember what time was it when this all started? Midnight. It was a late night for folks, wasn't it? At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his entire household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them for them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Don't miss that last part, that he was filled with joy because he said yes to Jesus. He said, I see something in you, Paul and Silas, that I don't have. I'm saying yes to him, not Paul, not Silas, but to the one you serve, the one you're putting on display. I'm saying yes to him, Jesus. It says he was filled with joy. With joy. It's interesting to see how this jailer's life radically changed in the course of an instant. This wasn't, sometimes our lives are a journey, I get that, but we see immediate change with this jailer. Went from being one that had, in some form or fashion, hurt Paul and Silas to now he's got them in his house. He's washing their wounds, he's feeding them at his table. You talk about a transformation. That's life change. And it's all because God used a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas to just uphold him. Don't mishear me. It's not Paul and Silas that changed this man's life. No, they got to be part of that life change because what did they do? They were an easel. They said the phrase one more time, it's, it's not about me. So Jesus, how can you be known in this moment? Jesus, how can you be made more famous in this moment. Jesus, how can we make your name great in this moment? That's what we want. We hold Jesus up and then we start to step back and we let him do what only he can do. And in this story, a jailer and his entire family were changed forever. And I mean forever, not just in this life, but in the next. Because he said yes to Jesus. It says there that he was immediately baptized. There's a reason today's our baptism Sunday. And sure, you get baptized whenever you want, but there is something about making it a special moment as often as we can. So we pick today as we wrap up summer for that reason. Colossians 2.12, it says this. It says, you were buried with Christ, right, when you were baptized. Understand, there's nothing special and holy about the water that we use. It's straight out of the faucet. <laughs> you go down in the water symbolizing your burial with Christ, but you don't stay dead, No. When you say yes to Jesus, you come back out of that as a new creation, 2 Corinthians tells us, or in Colossians, new life, raised to new life. We symbolize us saying yes to Jesus, buried with Christ, dying to ourselves, following Jesus' death to a cross, dying to ourselves, being raised to new life with him. That's why we use the phrase a born-again Christian. It's not because all your sins have been washed away because of the water. No, Jesus' blood did that. Once and for all, the water is a burial. We die to ourselves because it's not about me any longer. And we're raised to new life where it's all about him. It has to be all about him. 
So that's how we begin to filter through our life in, in, the, in the ways of responses. We either will say, it's all about me. It's what I want, when I want it, it's how I feel. I don't feel like doing this and we make it all about me. And a lot of people walk through life that way. That's our tendency to walk through life in that way. But what if you started every response thinking, it's not about me, it's all about him, and we put his glory on display for all to see in every situation. It doesn't matter whether you're in prison or not. You put on God's glory on display and sit back and watch what he will do in your life and in the lives of the people around you. I'm not saying this is gonna be your story, but I'm saying it's gonna be close. It's gonna be similar. Because you can't put Jesus on display and lives not be changed. Jesus changes lives. That's why we're about more life change. Because we put on display Jesus. And then we get a front row seat to see what he does in our lives and the lives of others. So here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna put in just a moment a verse up that is very impactful for me, but it also is very impactful for the, the person who wrote it. David, King David, Old Testament, Goliath, King David. He wrote a lot of Psalms, if you go through Psalms. And one in particular is pretty well known, Psalm 51. Here's what he wrote, and you need to know the situation that he was in. It was a very difficult time for David. David was trying to make that transition from it's all about me to it's not about me. And this is what he wrote as a prayer to get back to the place where you put God's glory on display and you take a back seat. So here's what I want us to do. Let's put that up there. And I want us to read this together. And as we read this together, this is gonna become our prayer. Right here, right now, this is gonna become our prayer and I'll help you understand which part. So let's read it together. Here it is. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here's where you need to make that next step. Maybe it's saying yes to Jesus for the first time. God, you've got to create something in me for the first time. It's that yes to Jesus moment, the trust in Jesus for the first time. God, I need you to create something new in me. Help me get to this, where I'm just putting you on display. And it's not a special prayer, it's not a hand raised, it's not a walk down the aisle, it's a believe in your heart and say it with your mouth, where yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. It's what the jailer did. What do I have to do to be saved? Paul and Silas says, it's not complicated. You believe with your heart, you start there. For some of you, those words of restore and renew are gonna come to mind. Jesus, I've said yes to you, but it's been more about the easel than it has been about you, so I need to get back to that. I need to get back to you. So that's why David said, renew, restore to me what I've lost, what I've walked away from. For some of you, this morning is just that. It is a moment of restoration, getting back to what you originally maybe had started with but had walked away from. It's a moment to say, I'm coming back. It's not about me. No, it's all about you. Some of you, that next step needs to be baptism. Not because you feel like it. Not because you're all excited about it, perhaps. I hope you are. But I would tell you, don't make the decision based on how you feel. Let your obedience lead your heart. Where you die to yourself, it's not about me. And you're raised to new life with Jesus. Where it's all about 
him. Maybe you just need to commit to changing your environment by bringing God into it, by putting him on display and let him do the work. I don't know what your next step is, but there is one. Every single one of us has a next step. And it has to begin with, it's not about me. One more time, it's, it's not about me. Love it. If you'll close your eyes right where you're at, I want you to end your heart and end your mind, identify that next step for you. Is it saying yes to Jesus for the first time? Is it taking that next step through baptism, whether you've planned on it or not? Is it renewing your relationship with him? We can come back to Jesus again and again and again and again. You do it as many times as you need. He is a God full of grace. Maybe you need that joy restored back into your life, like the jailer, where this joy swept through his family because he believed in, in Jesus. Maybe joy needs to be restored into your life. Whatever that next step is, may it be more about God's glory than the easel. Because it's not about me. It's all about him. Regardless of what situation you're in, may we make it about him. Jesus, thank you so much for what you are currently doing in our hearts. God, may we make it all about you. Every situation, every response, every word, every thought, every action, may we filter it first through, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I feel all the time. It's all about you. May our lives truly revolve around you as being the very center and core of our lives. That you, because of you, everything else changes in our life. Because of you, everything else is different in our life because it's not about me, it's all about you. Jesus, help us to respond in a way that puts your glory on display. May we walk around with joy, not because of the situation we find ourselves in, but joy because of who we are holding up. So in this moment, may our prayer and our praise be loud and true because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.